still flowing with spiritual energy after <clears throat> taking in some great live music over the last week or so, multiple venues, multiple states. It's very important for my own psychological well-balance to keep my vibration very high. And I do that uh, being around my peers and my elders and uh, being part of raising the collective consciousness and uh, with like-minded cats. And uh, my world keeps growing today. I got a chance today to speak to a cat who's very interested in the art itself, being as authentic as possible, having an individual sound that will be distinct and allow you to cut above the morass of every other musician who is either wanking it or not wanking it up there. But we're all just trying to put one foot in front of the other. And uh, what an honor. Sean Thompson, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Dude, the honor is all mine, my friend. Thank you for having me. You're welcome, brother. You know, I remember uh, I had this cosmic uh, <clears throat> interview with John Abercrombie, and he was like, Johnny Hammond Smith, which uh, uh, he was a B3 player, made some sick albums. And anyway, he he uh, he he hired John for his first gig. And uh, a lot of it was rhythm and it was soul jazz, you know, it was organ based soul jazz. But yeah. but Abercrombie, um, he uh, he said that it, to have the gig, you needed to have really good rhythm. But he also said that because of that dedication to rhythm, that's where your improvisational chops grow from. And I wanted you to riff on that any way you wanted. Man, what is music, you know? Rhythm and melody. I mean, soul, but, you know, at the end of the day, rhythm and melody are, are the most important parts of, of music. So if you don't have rhythm, you know, you right. can't, you can't right. hang. You can't yeah. fit in with other people. You can't, like, you can't. Um, I mean, it's so incredibly hard to do anything in, in the musical world without a, a strong sense of rhythm. And it's funny because I've been thinking about that recently, um, looking back on like when I first started playing music uh, with people, I was uh, it was like a church gig and I was probably 13 or something like that. And um I remember like my first time playing with a drummer and just having no sense of time and, and learning that like that realization in real time that I, I didn't know what rhythm was. And since then, man, I mean, I've spent a lifetime, you know, searching for that, that answer. And, but I think it's, so, yeah. I think it's self-evident. I mean, I do, do you feel like germs of ideas that are in your subconscious develop rhythmically and then they come out in your in your soloing absolutely um i i think i think 100 percent um i think that i had to actually you know now that i say this i have this teacher um when i was in high school i went to a like a, a public arts magnet school here in nashville and um i had a jazz improv class with this guy named uh, Dr. Richard Griffin. And um, Richard Griffin was um, one of the leaders of the Marine Band in Nashville. Oh, my God. Sick. And just an absolute bad, bad uh, horn player. He could. Oh, he's a sax he, he player? Could, he was a sax player? Yeah. Yeah, Holy he was a sax player. Wow. And so 
you know, this is before I had any real um, concept of what jazz was or, or anything outside of whatever I was interested in at the time, which was probably like listening to some angular discord album or, you know, and, um, but uh, that, that school kind of got me around people that introduced me to jazz, you know, and one of the first things that we had to do in his class was um, take, uh, I think it was one note and you could only have one note and you had to go around on a blues form and play one singular note, the entirety of the solo. I love and, this. I love this shit. Yeah, man. And that shit, time, we've I, gotten so far away from vamping over. Oh, go ahead. You're the musician. No, I, I, I'm just, I'm no, just, yeah. you're totally right. Uh, but I mean, you know what it is? Like it was it, the idea there was what was the concept? What was the overarching enlightenment he wanted you to get out of that? Looking back on that, just the idea of it being you have very little room. How creative can you be? I think the I think the lesson, I man, I mean, I was so not like in the right headspace. Yeah, you didn't take advantage experience. of it. Join the club. I mean, that happens everywhere, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I I look back on like I look back on that class so much. Don't ever like, look back, man. Don't ever look back. Yeah, no, that's no. But the truth is that like, so you were not mature enough to, but, and so you 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 regret it because you could have really gotten more out of it, but. At the end of the day, did you enjoy the fact that, like, the jazz life, not that you are a jazzer, but that, you know, it really is like you have to have a story to tell. Like, you absolutely, it, it, man. Yeah. And I, and I just wonder, like, where, when that story started for you, did it start during that time or, or has it, like, for me, music as a fan and as a journalist, like, I was in sports broadcasting for a long time and I didn't, Huh. Even get in, I didn't even get into music to the late nineties. I was already at Boston university. And then, oh, you know, over out. time, it's just become this, you know, you know, now it's just this Loch Ness monster of information, you know, but, yeah. um, so where did the germs start with you or the journey for this or one of the stories of your life? Um, I would say like, I, I got a guitar from um from my uncle and uh he taught me like you know g chord and stuff like that and i i didn't really i didn't really like find anything that that really blew my mind about it at first and kind of had like you know very regular working class parents and they loved music but it wasn't like a big part of our life and I think like my brother like loved Metallica and so <laughs> yeah. and ACDC and all that shit. Sure, so yeah, I that's think great. It, really, it learned from that and learn like really wanting to learn how like metal like that. That was like where it it first hit for me. The rush wow. of wow metal. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. Like, like angular like, fucking metal. Man. Yeah, straight up wow. like. <laughs> really hard like really the precision the speed um the like yeah like like scientific laser sharp precision um brutal like brutality you know uh anger and it's like 
I think as like a suburban kid, that that was like very appealing. Um, and I think it is to like a lot of kids. Like, you know, I think a lot of like suburban regular ass kids just get sucked into metal because it, it provides this like absurdity of existence or something. Um, That's fascinating. With- I've, that is, I've never, and I'm not a guy that you, you know, I'm not a metal cat, but it still like, that's a perspective that absolutely it allows all that inner angst that's raging within the domesticity of suburbia to come out in that urban jungle in a very raw way and so people get people liberate through that shit and i respect it completely yeah and and you know i think that that's like the way a lot of people uh probably gravitate towards music you know not metal necessarily but whatever no i think i think that's every i think that's every i think you're i think you're 100 right i think any music because what you just described is different yeah it's a little bit different but so the metal but then you got you must have like um were you somebody that like sort of was off like you sort of not say mock the academy but like sort of realize the conformity conformity of like of the academic sort of realm and and sort of try to be on the bandstand as much as possible i think so i think i wasn't even aware of 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 like music like musician culture or just like this was like the the first time that i had felt actual human emotion via music was like Metallica and stuff. So I had no concept of music history, the fucking Beatles or anything like that. I just, all of that stuff might as well have not existed for me uh, from like the age of 13 to 16. Yeah, no, totally. I had a, I think I had a talking head CD that uh, Beatles, yellow submarine, best of the doobie brothers it started collecting vinyl and I started to, I realized like there was something, they were the newspapers of that time. Absolutely. And it was so insane. And all the notes and all the liner notes and then reaching out and getting those cats who were writing the liner notes and figuring out what was going on during that time. And ultimately like music, just the significance of music has changed in our culture. And then it's been, anyway, the point is my question is this Metallica, ACDC, you got to hit me to this. In their live shows, would they ever leave the head of the tune and go out and lose the one, or was it always kind of like burn? No, it burn was. For four it minutes? was like that. It was that form. It was rigid. It was mathematical. You know. It, How could you dance to that? Uh, I don't think you dance. <laughs> no, no, you no, you I mean, head bang. Awesome. You're going. Yeah. I wasn't. I absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and and like I mean I was just so not interested in that and and like that rhythm component of it like the sexiness of rhythm uh, hadn't hit me I was I was more sure. concerned with being like feeling this like primal uh, anger or uh, excitement yeah yeah and then you know I I ended up like I became obsessed with just like playing like trying to learn metal riffs and metal solos and becoming like as like fast as possible with having no real music theory at all it's just all positional like shape based and i got um 
I got accepted to this like this like public art school here called National School of the Arts. And like anybody can go. You just have to audition to get in. And uh, it's like visual art, dance, literary art, acting, uh, guitar, orchestra. And um, wow. There, <laughs> what's I, the exam like, man? I mean, the, the, how hard is the, the, the whatever the tryout, man? I don't know if I do very well in that. I think I played, uh, I, I played cowboy, I played an acoustic rendition of Cowboys from Hell, the Pantera song, whoa, uh, to the to the to the principal. And he was like, you know, man, I think you're gonna teach some people some things. Wow. And you're also going to learn a lot of things. It's like, oh, right on, man. Sounds cool. Dude, that dude and, sounds hip, man. Yeah, he was hip. He, yeah. was, he was a really cool guy. And, I mean, the point is that he, that he uh, you know, he, saw, he had the foresight to see that you, were, you had the cojones to be yourself. Yeah, yeah, that's well put. And there, <laughs> there I got like, you know, I, I, uh, I got introduced. To like you know I had a crush on a girl and she showed me Bob Dylan you know and from then it was just like from there it was over man and through that I through that school I could have discovered uh Coltrane and jazz and and like Dylan Nick, Nick Drake and all this other cool sort of uh experimental music that was happening around around Nashville and I met a bunch of musician friends and like-minded people. And this kind of brings it back to that jazz improv class and that one note solo thing. It's like, that's where I, I realized like how, how deep, how deep down the iceberg goes, you know, like there's this gigantic world <laughs> outside of this very limiting heavy metal window that I was, looking through at the time and and uh from there i mean like i learned like i met kids that wanted to start bands and we played house shows and then from there i started forming other bands after high school and and i really like oh everything like all of my whatever musical life beyond that school like i owe it all to that because i wouldn't have really gotten started playing with people i don't think um and got the the like lust to play live and what that what that confirmation feeling is when when you you know you play well or um you know people respond positively to whatever you're you're giving them at a, at a show you know sure. i got hooked on that you know were you always in, intent when you had these different bands um, I mean, would you just uh, play top forty gigs for dough? But like, like, or did you have the opportunity in that experimental scene to actually sing for your supper, playing the music that you were create? Was it original music? Yeah, I man, I didn't start doing I I I hadn't started doing cover stuff until like pretty recently like that's playing sick. like that's sick, <laughs> yeah i mean it's yeah. such a blessing I and mean, it's beautiful like that like in it high is, school yeah. totally. it was like like make the make the most angular weird music with like i mean i the first band i was in um the whole point was to make these like 
mathematically confusing riffs that would somehow resolve into some sort of cool danceable riff at the end like you know the tension of all of this like discordant and and weird time signature music with the payoff of some sort of thing that's like you know people could open up the pit to you know Um, so it was like you you got like a a 10 minute palette or something or how long did you get to like turn it to a groove i mean most of the songs were like you know 30 uh like like no sorry like three and a half minutes maybe I mean, I wasn't into improvising live. I thought, like, for, until probably the age of, like, 19. Okay, so again, I want to be clear. What other live show you had not ingested? How old were you at this point? Probably 17 or 18. And so, rightfully so, you had not ingested, outside of the ACDCs and the, and the box, the formula trip shit, metal stuff, you hadn't been exposed to live improvisation. No, not in a way that I understood what was happening or like the beauty of of what may have been happening at the time. Um, I'd certainly seen some cats play like, you know, I got to see we get to go to the station in and see the time jumpers and stuff and see some really cool like Western swing and, and shit around Nashville. But like really not. I was like, oh, this is cool old man shit or whatever, you know, um, but now like. But it, it definitely took probably until I was like 22 or 23 to be like, wow, like being like truly moved by somebody improvising, um, you know, or or even aware of of the concept of stretching out or what that was or um, exploration. <laughs> exactly, music. dude. That's where I mean, that to me is where the rubber meets the road. Um, Absolutely. Can you talk about. Uh, one thing that you taught the 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 headmaster of that art school was like, yeah, you're gonna teach some cat stuff and you're gonna learn some shit. What was what was something you taught someone while you were there, and what was one thing you picked up on from from some cat? Oh, damn, man! I would say. I mean, we can circle back. I got other questions. Yeah, we can circle. Yeah, back. no, it's cool. Yeah. I I I think that. I don't know how much I taught people. I maybe like inspired. It doesn't freak. There's no teaching involved. It's just about yeah. Inspire them to keep going. I think yeah, man. I think like maybe I inspire. Like I felt like I was. I learned. I learned how to be myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, through through that place, and I think that like the connection I got from a lot of friends that I made at the time of, of playing there. I think I like maybe I inspired some people and maybe I I think that I may have man I but I was so on this like I like I was a sponge man and like I was around a lot of really amazing young prodigy kids like kids that um right they couldn't they couldn't uh they could they could they could play everything but they couldn't get their find their way out of a paper bag kind of thing Man, I mean, yeah, there was that, but I remember there's this one cat that still is around Nashville, and he's doing. Quite I shouldn't well. say that. I'm just saying they 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 were gifted from they they had like. Anyway, go ahead, go ahead. They do. There's this guy. His name is Eli Bishop, and he's still in town. And he's I'm about gonna, a year I'm gonna have to get young. to that cat right away, dude. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's he's like, he was 
had already like basically mastered classical music by the age of like 13 or 14 and started um like like getting really into like he he could do Stefan Grappelli at like the age of 15 or 16 just that sound that like Wow. Like a yeah, bird. See, yeah, that 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 that's fucking great. That's sick. and and so he he introduced me to like Django music, you know. Right. And so we'd sit there and we would do Sweet Georgia Brown and Honeysuckle Rose and uh, like Minor Swing and Nuages or I don't actually never know how you pronounce that song, but New um, Asia, yeah, who cares? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. you know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, and that's when I first kind of started learning the concept of 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 the theory of it all or even sure. what right what theory was um what's one and, thing you do you remember one thing that was a lightning bolt theory wise for you uh yeah yeah um i remember that jazz improv teacher telling us what's a, this a cat's name of, by the way what's this cat's name uh dr richard griffin I, is um, he still with us by the way I believe he's still. He think he's still kicking. I haven't. I haven't heard about him in a while. Yeah, I'm um, gonna track him down. Yeah, man, you could. He's he's an enlightening, very interesting cat. Go ahead. Um, I didn't mean to interrupt your train of thought. No, what, what, all good. What, yeah. He he said a few things. One was, um, it's all ABCs and one two threes. At the end of the day, it's that simple. It's ABCs and it's one two threes. There's twelve notes. You know. A, A sharp, B, C, C sharp, D, D sharp, E, F, F sharp, G, G sharp. Uh, and I, it took me, I mean, dude, it took me fucking years to, to figure out really what he meant by it. But it's actually, it is, I sit here and think about it now as a 32-year-old. It's, it's truly that easy, man. Music is like so stupid easy. You can make it as hard as you want. And uh see another thing he said was like music is a conversation uh and you know uh if i this is him saying like if i came up to you and just started saying blah, 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 you wouldn't have any idea of you you'd think i was a fucking crazy person but if i start talking to you in phrases and sentences then you would understand what i'm saying and um that that really, really stuck with me and took, and those two things, uh, I mean, I, I think about them all the time and how long it took for me to truly internalize that. It probably took me about 10 years after having that class to, to really figure out. I want to go back for a second. You, he said, about. he said, ABCs, one, two, threes. Yes. Th that encompassed what you were just saying there, you talked about, you went through all the notes and it's, you know, the possible notes. And right. was that just subset a, or was that the entire, was that you make, can you just, for the non-musician, can you articulate what he was trying to say? Well, basically in, in Western music, there's 12 notes. You have, um, a, the a note, you have a sharp, you have B, you have C, you have C sharp, D, D sharp, E, F, F sharp, G, and G sharp. And then basically once you hit that, if you're starting on A and you just play the notes in order, which is like what we would call like chromatically, just half steps, 
up to from A, all half steps, you hit all those uh, like 11 notes, the 12th note will be an octave. So that means you have to repeat again. So you're all you're doing is playing those same 12 notes again in a higher register because right. they keep going higher and higher and higher and higher and right, higher. Right, right, right. So you, there's only so many notes, I guess is, is the idea of what, what he's really trying to say is there's only so many notes. And so you have to, like, when you really whittle it down, there's endless combinations of those notes. But when you truly whittle it down, that's it. That's all you're working with. And it's, it, the thing that's vexing is that what you just said, this endless algorithm, the endless combinations, that is the magic of music. Absolutely, man. And I, I'm like, where, like, that, that is something that, I mean, I'm, I wish I was a mathematician. And I wish somebody, I don't know if anybody's done research on this, but that is the thing because you, like you said, you know, the mental part of it, music is, it's not simple at all. It, it, you have to have dedication. You also talk about a cat like, you know, that can sound like Rapelli or sound like Joe Pass right off the bat. It's like, that's just God-given touch, breath, that kind of stuff too. I just, you know, to me, what did he mean with the one with the with like was one representing like first position or second? How, what are that the what? numbers? So, so this is where it gets wild. No, I don't want to get you're getting because this is not for me. Like I'm not. This is I know. For, like, I know. You know, this like is, I don't. And, like, I don't want to. It's just to me. Like was he like? It sounded like a Michael Jackson tune. ABC one. I two, love three, talking kind of. about this shit though. It's yeah. like no, it's sick. It's, it's sick. It is sick. Go ahead. Go ahead, man. Go on. It, uh, basically. So it is mathematics and I was shit at math, but somehow I'm good at this like musical math thing. Sure. Um, I think most cats are so like that. Yeah. When you, uh, when you start talking about Western music, everything derives from the major scale and from, for the most part, like for all intents and purposes. And there's a combination that no matter what key you're playing in, and it could be any one of those 12 keys, a, you know, A, A sharp, B, C, so on. And could be in any one of those keys, but the formula of the major scale will be the exact same for every single key. And that is a combination of whole notes and half, note, half notes. And whole notes are like going from, for example, you go from A to B. And then a half step would be, or sorry, a whole step would be going from A to B. A half step would be going from A to A sharp. So a whole, it means you're skipping, you're skipping, you're basically going ahead two notes. Um, and then half means you're going ahead one note. Yeah, I mean, and, dude, he, you're like, you're like, it's really just that simple. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, maybe, I, I mean, so, um, yeah, I mean, basically the, the, uh, you talked about shapes, you, you know, you have met music mathematical mind Explain about how shapes get into your, your, how they form. I mean, it also like, is it like maybe half the shape forms at one point? Did sometimes the whole thing come out at once? Just talk about those shapes. Cause McLaughlin, McLaughlin talked to me a lot about, uh, shapes in, in music. Oh yeah. So, um, that's a, that's a very, like, there's a lot of, and it, it depends on where we're, we're going from. We're like, so, on on guitar, strictly visually, 
uh, guitar is an incredibly just shape-based instrument. And I think that's why it gets looked down on from some people because you can do what I did as a, you know, when I was learning and just like learn these like visual shapes of what works and what doesn't triangle kind of thing. Like say I was on the fifth fret of the E string. I'll be hit, you know, what I would later discover was a fucking a note. And then if you, if you made a triangle downward, you would hit the fourth note of the A string, which I would later come on to figure out as a C sharp. And if you made another sort of longer diagonal reach, you would hit the second fret of the D string, which is an, which is an E note. And so you have this sort of diagonal triangular shape down uh down the neck that turns out that's a triad and a triad is how we build chords and the same triad would be like on on guitar for like an a major chord would you know would be a c sharp and e and that even though i can figure that out and i can deduce that by just you know random chance visually on guitar an A triad for saxophone or for cello or piano will always be A, C sharp, and E. Uh, but I just found it out through a purely visual standpoint. So when he, when Richard Griffin is talking about one, two, threes, he's talking, he's taking those notes away from it and taking and thinking of, of, um, whatever scales or relations because he's he's primarily talking about scales when he's talking about one two threes and those one two threes are scale degrees and by scale degree i basically meaning that um you go one two three four five six seven and that's a scale so in if we're still talking about an a one is a two is b three is c sharp four is d five is e six is uh f sharp uh, seven is G sharp or A flat, however you want to say it. And so that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Eight would be the octave going to the higher thing of A. And so that's what it means by one, two, threes. And then so from there, if I'm thinking of, I just, I just know, like listed the A major scale. So if I think about the A major scale as one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, I can there. From in that, I can manipulate that to uh, move a note uh, half step up, half step down, and it will change the tonality of that major scale and turn it into something different. Uh, here we go. Um, now the poetry's starting to flow. Yeah, and so yeah. like that, and that you know one one half step or another will completely you know change the way um the way like a uh, the quality of like a chord like so if i went from you know if i if we go back to that triad uh, example the a c sharp and e if i moved that c sharp down and you know if we're t thinking about it in numbers if i took that three and i turned it to and i moved it down a half step to c that three thusly becomes a flatted third because i flatted i moved that third scale degree down a half step and then that turns that A major chord into an A minor chord. So it has this, like, every difference has this crazy gravity towards it. Wow. And so, like, Coltrane, 
like had this whole way of looking at the circle of fifth and I'm not going to be the one that can explain this the right way, but he was hip to the, the math, like mathematics and sacred geometry of it all too. And the way that I even think about numbers now, like, you know, if I'm in a session or say I'm, I'm, I'm like learning a live, like a, a set for somebody. Um, I listen to their songs and I write down the numbers corresponding to the keys that the songs are in of the chords. And then that way, if I have like, you know, one, four, five, or, for example, um, and, and the, the, the key of the song might be an A. Right. So I have a one, four, five, and A. Well, they come to the gig and they're like, actually, yeah, we got to play it a half step up or a half step down, just depending on how my voice is feeling or man, I hate the way my voice sounds in that key. Let's do it. Something else. All I have to know is that it's the first degree, the fourth degree, and the fifth degree. Because a major scale in A versus a major scale in B, the notes may be different, but the pattern will always be the same. And so that shit, like, I mean, it took it took years after hearing that statement to truly figure out what it meant. And years of trial and error and, you know, having one realization that leads to another, it leads to another. And that's, I mean, it's the beauty of it all, man. It's that it's like a completely fucking endless, uh, like it's an abyss of knowledge and music. And like you turn over one stone and you just see a whole nother world that you, or you pull on a thread, you know, and it just keeps going and going and going. It's, it's truly <laughs> miraculous. And I've well, spent I mean, my life you, trying to figure yeah. that shit out, you know. Totally. And it's, it's, it's the forever journey. I mean, you have some people who learn their prodigies, but even they are still learning every day. And, uh, and I just wonder if you, if you could talk a little bit about, um, like in my mind, periodically when I'm able to go on tour with my road dog friends, like, you know, I mean, it feeds them spiritually, but with inflation and with gas prices and with the polarization and with the fact that the bars are still broke, I'm not saying specifically national, I'm just saying, is there a viable domestic touring circuit for Sean Thompson? <laughs> I hope so, man. <laughs> <laughs> because you know what? Nobody else has one. So, you, you know, I mean, that's what I'm saying is outside of Steve Miller, or dead and company, you know, whatever the fuck it is. It's like, dude, I mean, cats are going out for Mike Gordon got nine days. It's a fucking joke. Damn. I mean, and so I'm just like, I'm, I'm curious, like, are you able to sing for your supper as, in, as, a, as doing other produce pro, other things in the music uh, production arranging, or are you able to sing for your supper on the bandstand? Um, I'm, I'm mostly a hired gun. Like, that's damn dude yeah you're you're with dude back in la in the 60s and 70s you would have been known as one of the studio sharks yeah like i uh maybe there's studio work in nashville that that's like but it's more anonymous you know you don't go ahead continue i basically like you know i was in a bunch of bands and those have since you know they became defunct at a certain point and I realized, like, I would get calls, like, hey, like, you know, they like knew that my band was broken up, so they would, I would 
get asked to come play for people. And I realized like how much better everybody was than me or more adept at, at picking things up more quickly. Right. And right. so not better, not after, better, just yeah, quicker. Yeah. And more, more used to the, the process. And, and so like I had to, I had to get my shit together really fast, learn how to chart tunes, learn how to hear chords, learn how to be a, a somewhat agreeable person to be around or, you know, <laughs> learning the parts or showing up on time, that kind of shit. And so after about like five years of doing that, I'm finally basically able to like pay my rent and eat food and not be totally broke pretty much by playing music. So I like go on tour with a lot of different people. I uh, do sessions when I'm able, um, and who, are, who tell me a little bit about the act? What is the most the acts that are on tour? And I mean, I, it's all music uh, to me. I'm from the Duke Ellington School, but is anybody playing? Is every band you're in playing the same song the same way every night? Um, it's a good question. You know, um, because the only reason I say that is like my daughter, my older daughter, and I were watching. Uh, you know, Guy Fieri on Food Network, his early, one of his early shows, and it was so organic and loose, and it was like, they, you know, some, they went to places that were terrible restaurants, not everything was a formula trip, and to me, the way they package things now, in every part of communication, is formula, and I feel like that's the only viable touring circuits that are out there, but you tell me, is there, you know, go ahead. That's a very... That's a that's a very astute point, and it's a conundrum that I feel like I have to deal with all the time. Right. And a lot of it is an ego trip. In what? Mm -hmm. So the answer to your question is yes and also no. Um, yes, good. <laughs> so and and like I've had to really learn how to rein that in for myself, like because I, for one, am incapable of playing anything the same way twice. I don't. Right. I you no couldn't do it if you tried. Yeah. Like I, I'll play the notes. I'll play the riff. I'll do that. Um, but every time is just gonna be a little bit different. I might be a little ahead of the beat one night. I might be a little bit behind the beat another night. Cause I may like, I may be behind the beat. Cause I just like ate a cheeseburger right before I played. So I'm, everything's a little, you know, yeah, a little more yep. chill, or I had a shit ton of coffee, or like smoked a joint before I played, or you know something like that. Like every to me, like, and this has got me in trouble a lot, and I've I've learned how to, either, like sort of compartmentalize these things, and also like it makes me, at least in my mind, this is what I tell myself is that it it makes me more desirable to the people who do want to play like music music you know what i mean um exactly. and exactly. so there are people that really want it true to the record the same way every night and i i respect that and i'll do it um uh there's also people who are willing to like ride the snake a little bit and maybe ride the tiger a little bit yeah, I, and like I mean, they're gonna I let think, Thompson play as many bars as he wants. The 
No, well, maybe not all the way. <laughs> but you I'm know, kidding. if I yeah, get no. some bars, I might be able to say something. Say something differently depending on how I'm feeling, and and giving me the space to, because right. you know, I'm always going to be sympathetic to the song. I always want to make a good show. I always sure. want to make the artist sound better. And the way that I would interpret that statement is by giving some fucking life into it, you know, or breathing some like, voltage. Yeah. Some electricity, some actual living, breathing plug in, air. Plug in. Yeah, exactly. Um, like I want things to sound like, like it's coming from my voice instead of me just playing a part. And, and I can tell when people respond well to that. And I, that can be an asset to somebody's live show if they want it to be. And Absolutely. like, I just got done playing a tour with uh, my buddy, Andrew Combs, brilliant songwriter. Absolutely. Like, yeah, I think I know that cat. Dude. He's, he's one of my favorite songwriters. Um, completely right right very on. super original as far as like people doing it today, you know, like I did totally he's inc yeah. Yeah. incredibly thoughtful, incredibly impressionistic, um really and just like a perfect singer uh but his his whole vibe is like letting the chips kind of fall where they where they lie you know um and that would means that like things might get a little squirrely on a tin like i might really want to just go for it one night and some nights you know and he responds to that and and that that like gets me really excited and and that's why I think that when you're seeing people like um, on stage communicating, that that is like a completely, for me at least, an intoxicating feeling. And it's infectious because then you're you're a part of it. And I, I really try to align myself and like play with people that that want that quality that are that are you know intrigued by that quality because i'm not going to be a whole lot of use to somebody who doesn't feel that way and but like in my own music and i i haven't you know sadly haven't really been able to like fully put this this idea in action but like dude my live shows nothing is ever the same ever well no you know? I, this is a is, no, absolutely. I, I, so many things are running through my head, but, um, like, how do you? It's weird, you know. You get the adulation of the. I, I also want to be clear, for some of the bands. I mean, for all the bands, you're going on. So answer these questions for me. How long yeah. are the are the tours? How big are the venues? And are they sold out shows? It's always different, man. Um, I, I play with so many different bands and different areas. But you can only of, be on tour. I mean, I guess all I'm saying success. is like, you know, like, like basically though, people are showing, this is not like they're a promo. The point is they're not, they, a lot of the artists can, they don't have to focus on doing everything. Right. I mean, I would say like, I'm still like, very much making my my bones as a as a side guy and i play with a lot of just you know people who everybody all those cats all those leaders know sean thompson is the truth anyway so that you um, know you're you're doing it man 
Thank you, brother. You know, I, that you know, means man, a lot. You know, I mean, no, you know, because I, I, the thing is, this is really what I want to ask you about is, I, I'm not kidding, man. Uh, at this nonprofit here in town, Tucson, where I work, we get record donations, and we got this like vein of bluegrass, like the sickest, most stealth bluegrass collection. Uh, and <clears throat> there was this one album, the Osmond, the Osborne Brothers. Dude, oh, yeah, man. Are, how did you get that? Might I only listened to Side A? I can't stop <laughs> listening to Side A. It is the it's, most, it's I most, think man. it might be the, I don't know. I mean, fa- part of it's that they were family. You can feel in the ballad. They play ballads, man. I, that Dude, talk a little bit about this because you can, you can go off and nothing ever played. As Phil Lesh said, you never play the same song the same way once, but the art of the ballad, the ballad, you know, dynamics, uh, that there was a ballad on that, on that, and I wanted on that uh, Osborne Brothers side A that is mind melting. And how much are you committed to, you know, everything's so loud today. We're all amped up, you know, there's stereo systems are the best in the world, but at the same time in your own work, solo work, how important is it to li- deliver a ballad in the back end of the second set? Dude, hugely important. Something that I uh, am still learning in my own music how to how to do. Um, you, dude, like a a ballad is such a unique style mm-hmm. because because one, I think one of the reasons I I don't get I don't necessarily maybe do many ballads like I've got one slow song that I've written that you, first of all, you have to have like a compelling singing voice to, to be able to convey a ballad first, second, like the, 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 the subject matter has to be an emotionally grabbing thing. You have to be able to craft a song that is going to make elicit an emotion, you know? And so Ballads are fucking hard, man. I mean, like, it's cool. No, that's to write what I'm a I think they're, they're. I think they're even bands like Grateful Shred, with my dear friend Zephaniah O'Hara. Yeah, who, he's a good who, buddy. He's just no. He down. told me about you, man, on this last tour. I'm pretty sure. Oh man, we were just like wasted, and he's like, "You need to hook up with Sean Thompson." But that that. So thanks to Zeph, but even those cats, Aww. and as much as I love them, uh. To be honest, they had major balls. They opened with uh, "Morning Dew," but you don't see the st- <laughs> yeah. you don't see the Stella Blues or the Black Peters or the Wharf Rats. Uh, you know, uh, in the back end of the set, people are very. And I think you you also can speak to this: is that there is an incentive to want people to be constantly dancing or up, and sometimes with a ballad. It's completely danceable, but it's got a groove in its own burning way. Yeah, totally. And and that's like I would say for me in my own perspective of what I what I want in my own music is like it always to 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 fucking groove and move. Everything I'm not doing my job if things are not grooving and moving. And <laughs> like I have I have one one sad tune that I play that people seem to respond to, but it, even that's got a four on the floor backbeat. 
Right, um, right. So I think there's there's an interesting there's an interesting like combination that you can kind of stumble upon and with within that melody and rhythm of of making something so steeped and funky with also being very sad. Um and there are some people that like I think really, really do a good job nowadays of, of singing compelling ballads. Um I would say Andrew Combs is is one of those cats for me. Um do you know Logan Ledger? I uh, uh someone else dropped that name uh the other week. I, yeah, but but not not familiar with the music itself. He he's he's um he's a good buddy and a truly fuck. Yeah, I feel like singer. maybe uh you <laughs> like, know, you know, I think the there's two I mean we we need to do set two cuz I'm up against the hard break. I mean, it, this this blew by for 50 minutes. I just yeah, wonder if, totally. I wanted to, the John Maylander, uh, Royal Massat. Are do you are you you are you hip to those cats? You're friends with them? Uh, you know, I don't think I've met John in person. I I know that we like follow each other on Instagram. I've seen no, him. Honestly, play. dude, Maylander. I, I'm feeling he's friends so hard. No, but you know what it is. What I'm saying is like I'm I'm not a musician, so like I'm I connect humanity and like it's coming together with like Maylander. You, Zeph, Royal Massad, like this is the, I mean, whether, you, I know you have your own cadres there as well. I'm just saying like, there's a lot of pulse in Nashville. And, Absolutely. you know, Absolutely. I, I, I think that, uh, how did you get hip to the Osborne record? I just want to know that. Oh man. Um, through my buddies, Teddy and the Rough Riders. Um, they're a really fantastic band and I've, What's I've the band those. leader's name? What's the band leader's name? Uh, so it's two dudes, Ryan Jennings and Jack Quiggins. Um, and so those dudes, you should definitely hit those guys up sometime, as well as, well as Logan. But the, no, Logan, those, Logan, I think Alec O'Connell maybe mentioned him. Yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah, that's funny. Yeah. I'm, I'm roommates with Alec. Yeah, I know, uh, dude. We're, dude, I'm. That's where the that this is where. Yeah, see the connect. The family's the family is strong, man. The really family strong. is strong here. It's really beautiful. Um, and so those dudes, those dudes were playing a, a record, an Osborne Brothers record on tour once, and I was like, "What the fuck is this? This is so sick!" And um, so since then, I I grab every single one that I see. Like if I'm if I'm at a record store, and they've got like I've got Fastest Guns in the West. I got it for like three bucks here. You know. Wow. Um, what? I think I've got like six or seven of them because they made like a ton of records in the late 60s and early 70s that are they're the first blue, like traditional bluegrass band to incorporate electric bass and drums. And, wait, 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 um, wait. You're talking about the Osborne brothers? Yeah. Dude, yeah. you I'm loving that you can hit me to this dude. I you know, Leuven, Monroe, Stanley Bros, Homer Jeffro, Jim and Jesse. I had never heard of them, man. Yeah, dude. I mean, they're they're the I feel endless like they're like sea, man. Under the radar cats. Okay, they are. Um, they are right because I mean, I, I I was like, when I put it on, I was like, I don't. I, I this is the best bluegrass I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, I mean, I dude, I love it so much. Like because <sighs> a lot of those guys are a lot of the players on that. Like um, Leon Rhodes is on electric guitar, and Leon was in the Texas Troubadours for the longest time, like Ernest Tubbs band. Um, Hal Rugg. Um, yeah, dog. That rhythm, it's the electric, it's the electric rhythm section. 
They yes, so sick. Yes. So and the steel sick. playing on that is it's so oh good. God, like the steel and guitars. Charts, yeah. Right? Oh my god, dude. It's like Wayne Moss esque, you know? Yeah, it's like yeah. so. All that shit's like so compelling to me. Like that. If any ever there's like a really like interesting like gray area in music where like there's these two two styles like kind of coming together in a way that a lot of people are angry about. I probably am going to like it, you know? Um, it generated a lot of controversy because they were playing with electric instruments, playing with drums and shit. <laughs> exactly. And and that's, dude, it's like, I mean, it's an undeniable combination. Dude, um, it's, it's the best, fucking, man. It's so sick. <laughs> uh, you know, I actually, me and some people saw Bobby Osborne play very recently. I mean, he's Yo, super- dude, are you kidding me, and, man? Yeah. And it was like, some of it was a little tough, but it was amazing to to be there and be in the same room. Bro, me this, and you were like me and you were cooking. Like if we were at that session, the fastest grass in in town is that what it's called? Fastest grass in yeah, fastest uh, grass in the west, dude. Yo, bro, I have, I mean, dude, they. I mean, I'm not gonna t- say to the woodshed that 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 peaked over like. Uh, that was as hot as as the Flying Burrito Brothers. They weren't really bluegrass, but I mean, just anything close to where they were, anyone that was doing that folk thing with the rhythm sections, the drums, the electric shit. I mean, I've just it's anyway, yo, I, dude, I got I'm, my mind has been blown, Thompson. I got to I got to bounce. We will definitely let's do set two, man. I, I dude, this weekend, uh, literally last weekend, Zef was like. He he was like, yeah, you should hook up with Sean Thompson. Yeah, just oh, I drive. That's so that's sick. So, that's anyway, so man. Sweet. Yeah, much love, man. It was great to connect with you, bro. Dude, truly, truly, a really enjoyable conversation. I can't wait to do it again, man. Yeah, man. Well, yo, have a great gig tonight, brother. Thanks, man. Take it easy, uh, bro. See ya. Bye.